<laughs> the year was 2001, August of 2001 to be more specific. 20 years ago, I was a dumb 18-year-old kid, and it was a really exciting time because in August of 2001, I had my first experience going off to college. Brand new, on campus, first weekend, first experiences, everything was a first. You show up on campus, first thing is you go to your dorm room, I meet my big strange roommate, that'll be an illustration for another time. Met him, and that afternoon on campus, we had some social activities, you know, like some mixers and things like that. We split up and went to some of the professor's homes and kind of did some of those really awkward get-to-know-you games that nobody really likes doing, but they end up being okay because you make some connections. Did all that stuff, and this was a Friday. That was our first day on campus. And I had a really good day. Went to bed that evening, exhausted, but just excited to see what the future was going to hold. I wake up on Saturday morning, and Saturday held some very similar things. Of course, on Saturday, it was time to get down to business. Saturday was the day to complete registration. Saturday was the day to start going to the bookstore and getting your books and really preparing to start digging into the classes that would begin the following Monday. But also on Saturday, I had tryouts for choir. Of course, going into music and doing music at school, this was kind of important for me, and I'd done choir for years already, so of course I was going to go try out for the school choir, which of course was led by Dr. Mark Deacons, which a lot of you know Mark, he was my choir professor back then, and so I went down to the chapel to try out for the chorale, not the full-blown top-level concert choir, but kind of the freshman entry-level chorale. And I'm nervous, I'm really nervous, you know, because I didn't, this was a brand new experience for me, brand new place. So I go on in to do my tryout, Mark's in there, there's a piano accompanist, we go through some scales and some sight reading and everything goes perfectly, everything goes great. And so I walk out of that choir room just excited, enthused, pumped, ready to go, anxious to see what the future was going to hold. And as I walk out of the corral room, Sitting off to the right here, in, in the hallway of the chapel, there are benches along each side of the hallway. There's benches, like those old padded pew type benches. And off to the right, there's a couple of girls sitting there talking. And one of these girls that was sitting there, I had met the day before in one of these like group get to know you type sessions. And sitting right next to this girl I'd met yesterday was this really cute girl. So, as you do, I walk up and uh, say something brilliant. You know, I, I, I talked to the girl I'd met the day before, and I said, oh, hey, uh, are you here to try out for the choir? You know, just trying to strike up an awkward conversation. And she looks back up to me, and, and she says, yeah, I am. She says, I want you to meet somebody. It's like, I want you to meet my new friend here or my new roommate here. And I look at this girl sitting next to her, and she looks up at me and says three words that would change my life forever. Hi, I'm Chris. <laughs> I had no idea in that moment what those three little words would come to mean. 
And from that moment, I don't know, it was just kind of an instantaneous thing. I guess we started officially dating a couple of weeks later or something like that, but it just blossomed into what it is today. We, we started dating. We spent probably about three years dating, and then eventually that led to this, as you do. You know, we got married, and um, it's been, it'll be 17 years this July. We'll have been married 17 years this July, and now we have five children. All started with three little words. Hi. I'm Chris. And it was a wonderful time. You know, those dating years, those getting to know you years, it was a lot of fun. You know, growing together, sharing common experiences, having fun, you know, just kind of beginning to do life together and getting to know this other person. And as you do these things, as you spend this time together and the intimacy begins to develop and as the knowledge of each other begins to develop, you kind of feel your lives beginning to intertwine. You know, and that was really when I knew it's like I need to marry this girl because our lives had become so intertwined. I couldn't imagine what life would be like trying to tear that apart. It's like I just knew and I knew at that time it was, it was the right thing to do. But our lives intertwined. So I just want to, I have a lot of questions for you guys today. I have a lot of questions. This is one of those messages where I'm trying to kind of stimulate us to think. Because occasionally I have to sit down and I have to break things down in my own mind and ask myself a series of questions that cause me to think about where I am and what it is that I'm doing. So we're going to start this morning. I want you to think back, especially, you know, for those of you that have been married, maybe you've been married for a really long time. It doesn't even have to be a marriage relationship. Maybe it's a close friend, Someone that you are really, really intimate with. Can you think back for a minute? And remember, when did you meet? What were the circumstances that you met under? What were the first words you spoke to one another? What was it like in those early days getting to know that person and feeling your stories begin to intertwine? Was it a time of excitement? Was it a time of joy? Was it a time of confusion? I mean, what comes up when we think about those experiences, when we think about those times? So fast forward in the story of mine just a little bit. We'd been married for about, I want to say close to a year. No, it'd been a little over a year. And to finish up school, I had to go and do a semester at the Contemporary Music Center, which at that time was on the island of Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts, which is kind of an expensive place. So Chris was not going to be able to go with me. So I had to go on my own and spend just three months there at school, you know, finishing up my degree. Now, the thing is, when you are a 22-year-old kid, Three months is a long time. That feels like an eternity. And I remember thinking about this going, oh my goodness, three months. How am I ever going to make it? Three months. You know, now it's like three months is tomorrow. You know, time changes. But at the time, it was very, very hard. And I remember going to the CMC. And I remember, you know, it started off pretty good. But after a couple of weeks of that, you know, I call home. Hey, honey, how was your day? How's work going? Oh, fine. This and that happened. How was yours? Oh, well, I'm studying this and I'm writing this. And the weird thing was, is I noticed after a few weeks to a month of that, our lives, which were so closely intertwined, began to feel a little bit separate. They began to feel a little bit distanced because we weren't sharing the same stories. We weren't having common experiences. It was like we were living two parallel lives rather than two intertwined lives. It was a very odd experience, and I was really glad when it was over. But I want you to think now about something else. Have you ever been 
in a long-distance relationship. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever had that experience of wanting to be close to someone, but being physically separated and having to keep the relationship going over a long distance? How did that go? Was it successful? Did it fall apart? Was it stressful? Was it enjoyable? How, what were the feelings that you experienced in that long distance relationship? And the reason that I've got us thinking about that this morning, or it, maybe you haven't gone through this, but maybe you've seen a representation of it, maybe on TV or read a book about it. Maybe you know somebody who has or is going through a long-distance relationship. Kind of put yourself in that mindset because next question is this. Do you ever feel like you have a long-distance relationship with God? Does it ever feel like you've got a long-distance relationship with God? Now, I, I, I got to tell you real quick, I don't like using the word feel. I don't usually like the word feel because the word feel kind of implies something abstract. You know, it kind of implies something that's subjective. It's not something that you can really nail down, and it's something that's different for everyone. We all experience feels differently. But what I see very commonly is that this is a very common theme. I talk to people all the time, you know, and you hear things like, oh, I just don't feel very close to God, or God doesn't seem to be listening to me, or there just seems to be this distance between me and God. And once again, this is an abstract question. This isn't a concrete question. We know from the scriptures that God never goes far. God's always right there. But our feelings and our emotions can tell us something very different. And it can be a sign. It can be indicative that something else is going on. So, when this happens, what is going on? And by the way, if you're experiencing these kind of feelings... If you're ever going through a season where God might feel just a little bit distant, guess what? You're not alone. This happens to all of us at some point in time. But when it does happen, it's good to recognize what's going on because the greatest joy that we can experience in life is a close relationship with God. That's what he desires for us. That's what he wants with us. He wants to be close. He wants to give us all the great things that he's got in store for us. And he wants to uplift our spirits and just be very, very close with us. And so when this starts to happen, it can be indicative of something pulling us away. I like to look at it like this. I didn't come up with this concept, but I like to think of it in, this, in these terms. When we go through these seasons... We experience something that I like to refer to as spiritual drift. Spiritual drift. Have you ever drifted on a boat? You ever done it? It's actually extremely peaceful. It's actually extremely calming to go out in a boat and just keep the anchor up and let the water kind of take you where it goes. You know, it, it doesn't happen fast. It's a very slow moving thing. It feels really comfortable, but then eventually you look up and you're somewhere really far away from where you started. If we look at the book of Hebrews, the second chapter, verse 1, it says, So we must listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard, or we may drift away from it. Or we may drift away from it. And the thing about drifting, it can happen and we don't even realize it. 
We can drift and not even know that we are drifting. It's like occasionally you get that kind of sense like something's not right because it is a slow process. This doesn't happen overnight. It's a very slow process. And like I said, we all go through seasons, but it's important to recognize when this is going on. You ever had a hobby? You ever had a hobby that you don't have anymore? I see this a lot with music. I see this a lot with people who pick up a musical instrument because at the time it seems like a great idea. I'm going to finally learn how to play the guitar. I'm finally going to learn to play the piano. I've done this with a couple of instruments myself. I was like, man, I'm finally going to learn to do this thing. And you start, and you're excited, and it feels good, and you're working hard, and you're practicing. And then over the course, maybe a month, maybe two months, you start practicing a little less. You don't pick it up quite as often. The desire that you've got inside of you to really focus on this new thing, this new hobby, this new whatever, just kind of starts to go by the wayside. And then you wake up a year later and you realize it's gone. And then you start saying things like, yeah, I tried that once. Yeah, I took a shot at that. But I've drifted away from it. Same thing can happen in our relationship with God. Is that we can slowly sometimes drift in the other direction. God is still right there. God is still right there but we can feel distant. So let's, let's look at this for a second. How do we know? How do we know this is going on? I'm guessing somebody might be sitting out here going, oh yeah, that's me. I'm totally going through that right now. This is my experience. What is going on? I don't know what to do. Some of you might be going, no, I'm super close to the Lord right now. This is great, you know, awesome. Keep that going. Some of us, we might not even realize it or we may not have even asked ourselves the questions to know. So first things first, I want to point us to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 13, the fifth verse. I want us to read this and see what kind of truth we can pull out for us today. Look at this. It says this. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is in you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves. It is important that we don't just coast. It is important that we don't just sit back in the boat, kick our feet up, and let it take us where it wants to go. It is important that we examine ourselves, test ourselves, make sure that we are on the right track. So just to get started, maybe ask yourself some of these questions. I'm going to throw some of these questions out here. And this isn't to point fingers at us. These are just honest questions that we can ask ourselves to kind of see where we are in our relationship with God. So questions like this. Do I have, and be honest with yourself, this is just for you, not for anybody else. Do I have interest in reading God's word? Do I have interest in that? Do, am I, do I even want to read God's word? Another question is, do I pray? Do I pray often? Or here's a, here's a trickier one, because I've gone through seasons of my life where I've felt this. Does it feel awkward to pray? You know, do I try to pray and it just feels strange? Another question, do I value church? Do I enjoy being in the presence of my church family? You all are here, so I'm guessing you do. You know, but these are all questions and we can go through seasons. And here's the hardest question. Am I making excuses for sins that I know that I should change, but I enjoy? Now here's the thing. 
These questions cover a wide range of common challenges. Chances are, if you haven't experienced one of these, you might at some point. These are just common things that we all struggle with. We're humans, and we are in a constant state of God working in our lives to make us better and better and better. But if you can look at some of these questions and maybe say yes to a couple of them, you might want to give some thought to, okay, maybe I need to examine myself. Because to know if we're drifting, we need to examine ourselves. We need to ask the tough questions, not just kick our feet up in the boat. So why? Okay, so let's, let's, let's break this down for just a minute. Let's break this down for just a minute. So, okay, so occasionally as Christians, as followers of God, we might drift a little bit. And we even know, okay, I, I'm showing some symptoms. I might have some signs that I'm drifting. Maybe, you know, I'm just not as enthused as I once was. The passion isn't there. But why does this happen? What is causing me to drift? And I tell you what, sometimes this can be hard to nail down. But this is why we have to ask some of the tough questions. I think of drifting kind of like this. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. Ooh, pizza candy. Ooh, pizza candy. Long time ago. This, this popped into my head because years and years ago, uh, I, used, I used to occasionally watch Family Guy. I don't endorse that show whatsoever, but when I was that kind of young kid, I used to watch the show sometimes, and there was this scene in it that stuck with me. You see, the main characters are trying to trap James Woods. I don't remember why. They're trying to capture James Woods. And the way that they capture James Woods is they put like a trail of jelly beans on the ground. All right? They put a trail of jelly beans on the ground, which eventually leads to this nice big box right here. And James Woods comes out of his house. Ooh, piece of candy. Bite. Ooh, piece of candy. Bite. And he follows this trail until eventually, thump, he gets trapped. In James Woods' case... He, got, he drifted because of candy. He took the bait and it led him into a trap. If he'd have been able to say, where's this going? Where's this taking me? Why is this here? I mean, this is a silly example, but think about it like drifting. Little steps at a time that lead us in a specific direction. So right now, I'm going to ask more questions. I'm going to ask more questions. I'm going to stimulate us to think just a little bit more. And I want to ask us three questions that might help us nail down why it is, if we're drifting, that we might drift. And three questions that are good to ask ourselves just on a regular basis to keep our, keep our minds on track. So the first question is this. Is there something in my life distracting me from God? Is there something in my life distracting me from God? Let's face it, there's a lot of cool stuff to do. I, guys, I love guitars. I love guitars. They're gorgeous. They're beautiful. They sound amazing. There's so many different kinds. You can tune them in all kinds of different ways. You can make so many different sounds. You can sit there and just kill hours and hours just being lost in this wonderland of music that you can make with guitars. They're wonderful. They're a good thing. But what place do they have in my life? 
Once again, that might seem like a silly example, but I tell you what, there's a lot of days I'm at work and my brain is in guitar land. I'm thinking, okay, when I get home, I'm going to try this tuning. Ooh, what if I get this set of strings and I put it on this guitar with this particular alloy and then I combine it with this particular sound? And I, I mean, does, is that really worth having on my mind in that capacity when I've got other things to do? I mean, we all do these sorts of things. Things overtake our minds. Where are our priorities? Is that distracting me from my relationship with God and what I should be doing? Let's look to Jesus for a second. If we go to Luke, the 10th chapter, starting in verse 38, it says this, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Verse 39, Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. Mary, Martha, same house. Mary stays with the Lord and Martha... But Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. You know, you can, see, you can paint the picture in your mind, right? Martha, she's folding the napkins. She's making sure all the silverware is lined up. She's got like the six-hour, you know, meal in the oven waiting to go. And she's working on all the fixings. When really Jesus was there. And time with Jesus is more precious than anything else. They could have thrown some 15-minute hot dogs on the grill. And it would have been just fine. Because Jesus is the only thing that really matters. And does that ever happen to us? Do we ever get so bogged down in the busyness of life in trying to have everything just perfect and trying to do all these other little things that we forget to just sit at the feet of Jesus? Think about that. Is there anything that's distracting me? Second question I want us to ask ourselves is this. Am I allowing God to inspire me spiritually? This is another one of those subjective kind of abstract questions because it's different for everyone. It's different for everyone. Am I allowing God to inspire me spiritually? Am I doing things that actively point me to God? Now, I don't know exactly what that looks like to you, but for me personally, if I want to do things that point me to God, that come, a lot of that, of course, I'm a music guy, so it comes back to music. Listening to music that actively points me to God, that has a message that God wants me to hear, that talks about the greatness of God, that inspires me to just, you know, bow before God's, you know, bow before the throne of God, that leads me to the throne. I will also occasionally, I love YouTube. Guys, there is a wealth of knowledge out there on YouTube. If, if you've never really explored it, there's a lot of lousy stuff out there, but there's also a lot of wonderful Bible teaching that you can find on YouTube. And there are several creators that I follow that really inspire me to stay in the Word and stay on track with God. Those are some of the things that get to me. But what is it for you? How does God inspire you spiritually? Is it listening to music? Is it maybe, you know, Working on a craft or building something in your garage and praying, just spending time alone with God, doing something like that. Maybe it's, you know, being out on the boat and seeing the beauty of God's creation around you and just reveling in his greatness. I don't know. Only you can answer that question. But are we doing things that actively inspire us to follow God? And are we allowing him to speak to us through those? I want to park it just a minute right now on the church. 
for a second because I think when it comes to this, the church is extremely important. If we are going to continue to be inspired for God, the church plays a vital role. And I just wanted to point these out really quick. If you want to reference these scriptures later, you sure can. But when we are going through times where we might feel distant from God, there's no better place to connect than right here because this is what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be a place where we pray for each other. The church is supposed to be a place where we encourage one another, where we love one another. And I love Galatians 6.2 because the church is admonished to carry each other's burdens. At these times where we might feel a little bit of distance, we should be able to turn to our church family. And as our church family, we should be ready to help those that need it. It's extremely important and probably the best way that God can inspire us to follow him. Church is important. There's the, the last question that I want to ask us this morning. I'm going to go ahead and move on. And this probably should have been the first question that I asked. This probably should have been the first question because it's probably what it is. And it's probably the most poignant question, but it's also the toughest question. And that is this. Is there sin in my life that I need to repent from? Is there sin in my life that I need to repent from? Nothing puts up a wall between us and God like unrepentant sin. If we look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, verse 2, it says this, It is your sins that have cut you off from God. Ouch. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen any more. Now, God listens. God forgives. This is specific instruction to Israel at the time. But what this illustrates to us is the effect that our sin has between us and God. It drives a wedge. It builds a wall. It creates a barrier that needs to be overcome. Now, Christ is ready to come barreling through and break that barrier, but we have to commit ourselves to repent of those sins. Look at David. Let's look at David for a quick second. A man after God's own heart. How did he experience sin? If we go to the book of Psalms, chapter 32, this was right after David sinned with Bathsheba, which is a story for another time. But basically, David David took another man's wife. This was a horrible infraction against God. And let's see what David says about this. He says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. He felt the physical effects of sin. It weighed on him. Day and night, your hands of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. You ever experienced real guilt? Real guilt? over something, it's like a physical burden. I, and we can see where David is coming from. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Amen. That is, that is the story of sin right there, everybody. It starts off, it creates a barrier, it weighs us down, it causes us pain. But if we come before the Lord, confess that sin, repent from that sin, it lifts from us and we can have that close relationship again. These are hard questions, but questions we need to ask ourselves because sin makes it harder to connect with God. If we don't address the sin then even if we're dancing around the wall, if we're dancing around the barrier, it's still going to be there. 
So as we wrap up this morning, I want to look at just one more thing. Because going along with this issue of sin, it really comes, all these things that we've talked about when it comes to drifting, all of these different possibilities that it might be, only we can identify those. And you know, if if we come across something that's a distraction, we can try to remove it. If we're not doing things that inspire us, we can try to add those in. If there's sin in our life, we can identify those and try to repent, but sometimes it's not even that clear and we can still be confused like, God, I just don't know what's going on. Thank God, in the book of James, he gives us a playbook for how to deal with drawing close to God. Yeah. Let's go to the book of James for just a quick minute as we finish up here. James chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 7 through 10. James writes this, So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, first thing, resist the devil. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. Um, Jesus, in the book of Matthew, or excuse me, in the book of Mark, uh, chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, talks about how every evil deed comes from the heart. And he goes on to list several. Evil manifests itself here and comes out in our hands. What he's saying there is, stop getting your hands dirty. Stop doing evil things. Okay? Now this, this passage right here is significant. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Ouch, that's really depressing kind of scripture, right? Let there be sadness instead of laughter. The church that James is writing to, the issue with that is if you look at that, go back one real quick for me, Tyler. I want to see this really quick. When he says, let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Do we ever not take our sins very seriously? Do we ever just laugh them off? Oh, yeah, you know, I do that sometimes, but oh, that's just me. The church that James was writing to was taking a very casual attitude to the things that were separating them from God. There is nothing more serious than that which separates us from God. So what he's saying here is, guys, take it seriously. Don't laugh your sins off. Don't pretend like there's nothing wrong here. Let there be sadness. You should hurt for what you did because we need to bring about repentance. Next slide, please, Tyler. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Next slide. To humble or not to humble? That is the question. What does it mean to humble? What does it mean to humble? Humbling in basic is just putting something above yourself. It's putting something above yourself. It is the absolute opposite of pride. And I'm going to cut to the chase here because here's the point that I want us to make. Tyler, let's go ahead just a little bit. Let's move on just a little bit here. Bingo. To be in right relationship with God, we must humble ourselves before him. Being in right relationship with God means that we recognize his authority, that we put him in his proper place. And he promises us this in James 7.10. If we lower ourselves... He will lift us up. 
If we lower ourselves, if we put ourselves in the correct relationship with him, he will lift us up, he will draw us close, and he will, it'll just be amazing. It'll be the life that he desires for us to live. That's the main thing I want us to take away from today. If we're feeling distant from God, if we are feeling like we're drifting, if we're going through one of those seasons, we need to pull back into right relationship and humble ourselves before him. Last slide, please. I couldn't find a better picture than this. I wanted to find a really good picture of someone bowing before the throne of God. Because bowing before the throne of God is not like bowing before any other throne on this planet. When we bow before the throne of God, God does not look down upon us and then send us away. Okay, my servant, you are dismissed. No, he comes down to us from the throne and lifts us up and takes us to a place to be with him. This was symbolic in the old days. If a, if a person would, would be joining like the ranks of the royal family, they could come down and kneel and the king would come down, lift them up and physically bring them into a position is what God does for us. But it requires the right relationship with him. This morning, this message has kind of been for those of us that already follow Christ. But the thing is, even if you don't, God desires to reach down to you. God desires to lift all of us up because there's nothing he wants more than a right relationship with each and every one of us. Let's go ahead and pray.